Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Good morning. Our gospel reading from this morning is from Matthew chapter 17, beginning with the first verse. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're listening and would like to receive emailed copies of any of these sermons, go to brianboley.substack.com and register your email address. That's brianboley.substack.com to receive emailed copies of these sermons. The tall man led his students into the town. It was a good day, a cool day probably because they were in the north of the country and because of the high mountain ridge located just outside of town. A week or two ago, as they walked north, they had passed through a field of beautiful wildflowers, and he noticed that a caterpillar was forming its cocoon on one of the flower stalks. Very diligently, the fat caterpillar was putting together a snug envelope of fibers and plant debris, that would protect it for the next few weeks as it changed into a butterfly. It would be a startling change, going from a dull, fat, green worm that crawled on the flower stems and ate leaves, to a brightly colored, winged, angelic creature that soared on the winds, the very breath of God that swept over the country, a creature that sipped on the sweet nectar of the blossoming flowers that filled the country in the height of summer. But here, it was too cool for insects. That's probably why the town was founded up here. For the same coolness that kept, the, kept away the butterflies, also kept away the mosquitoes and midges that lived in the swampier, warmer lowlands. The man walked ahead and found a place to sit and rest. His students sat with him. They were all an average lot, ordinary men, used to hard work. None of them were dressed well. They all wore dirty, worn robes and cloaks. None of them would be mistaken for having any money or wealth or being important in any way, not even their leader. For he was very ordinary looking, 
although he may have been a bit taller than most men. One of the students was always arguing with his brother. Another argued with almost anyone. And still a third was a political radical who hated outsiders. While another would talk to anyone, especially if they spoke a strange, with a strange accent or even a different language. A couple were educated, but others could barely read and write. Another one was big and tough and muscular, often speaking up with the stupidest ideas. But the one thing they had in common was that they loved learning new ideas. And they understood that there was something, something very wrong, something they couldn't quite name, but something was wrong about what was going on in the country. They thought just maybe, maybe this leader of theirs this teacher could teach them a few things that would help them live better. The leader asked the students who they had heard the people thought he was. Most people thought they knew his backstory, a man from a small village who'd worked with his father in a skilled craft, but the students said that the people were adopting all sorts of fanciful ideas about who he was, for many in the country believed in a limited sort of reincarnation. The student said that some thought he was a great figure from the past, a man who spoke God's words, a prophet, and he smiled. But then he turned his face more serious, and he asked them, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And most of them just looked at the dust in front of them, the way students do when a difficult question has been asked especially an answer, a question they really don't know the answer to. And that's the way the students act when they don't want to embarrass themselves in front of their friends. They just stared down at the dust, waiting for another to try and answer. And finally, the big, bold student, he spoke up. The man they all knew would boldly say whatever, whatever was on his mind. You're the one who's to rescue the country. I I think you're the son of the living God. And the tall man complimented him. He told him God had revealed this to the student for no one on earth had told him. And then he ordered them all, don't mention this to anyone to keep it quiet because you see a man who will rescue the country is politically dangerous to the leadership and the leadership has soldiers with weapons. The tall man was not yet ready to go public. He'd come to the country many years before, leaving his powerful seat beside the most powerful king. He'd studied the customs of the country, the history, the present and past rulers. He knew that the current rulers were taxing away whatever wealth the people had, and they were building fancy buildings and supporting an army. And he knew that almost everyone was obsessed with being seen as good, pious men and women, even though few people actually helped anyone in need. He knew that almost everyone in the country was struggling just to survive, but that struggle had torn villages apart instead of helping them come together. Few people helped others. Everyone focused on their own survival, especially those who had gained a bit of wealth, for they were constantly worried that what they had would be taken away from them. The next couple of weeks, the tall man 
stayed in that area and explained to his students what the plan was, how he would get the attention of the religious and political leaders of the country and the people, and how he would begin his takeover of the hearts and the minds of the people and turn them to God. But his plan included his death. And the big, bold man pulled him aside and said, Never! This will never happen to you! But the tall man looked at the big, bold man sadly and said, You're so concerned with the effects upon my body that you've lost sight of the big picture. I have to get past you, for you talk like the evil one, so get behind me. And then he spoke to them all. And he said, If you want to be my student, it will be a difficult path. Our lives are not as important as the goal, the salvation of our souls and everyone on earth. For what good will it be if you become worldly rich, if it destroys your goodness, your personal integrity, and your souls? What's worth receiving if you have to give up your eternal soul for it? One day I will return with my father's army and then everyone will be rewarded according to what they've done. Following the tall man was going to be difficult, and it was going to be very uncomfortable at times. It would mean facing a lot of fears down, but it would be worth it. About a week later, the tall man took the big bold man and the two brothers that were always arguing with each other for a hike. It would be a difficult and uncomfortable and tiring day, but it would be worth it. He led them up the mountain. They walked up to the top of the 8,000-foot mountain outside the little town. All the way up, they passed little lean-tos and shelters and shrines that the pagan inhabitants of the country had prepared for their idols over the centuries. They're still there. They wrapped their worn, tight, dirty cloaks around their bodies as they climbed the path and the weather grew colder. And there at the top... The three students sat down, and the leader walked out a few feet from them, and then something amazing happened. He changed right before their eyes. His face began to glow brightly, like the sun, and his dirty, dingy clothes became as white as the light. And they began to think, could he really be the Son of God? For in his new appearance, Jesus was totally transformed. He was no longer an average-looking, nothing special man who was perhaps a bit taller than most. No, he glowed as though he was filled with a light that was coming from inside him. And suddenly, two old men appeared near him, and it was clear from their conversation that the two men were Moses, the great man who had brought the tablets of the law from God down off the mountain in the desert. And beside him was Elijah, the great prophet from the time of the kings of Israel, the man who had prayed to God, and God responded by sending lightning to light an altar fire that resulted in the destruction of the evil kingdom of Ahab and Jezebel and their worship of the false god Baal. The two greatest men who had heard directly from God were here talking to their leader, the tall man, Jesus. What is more, he was glowing with an internal light. It was too much for the big, bold man. The one Jesus had nicknamed Rock. 
He began babbling about putting up three shelters, three little shrines, like the ones they passed by on the way up the mountain. And it was then that rock was spoken to by God himself. A bright colored cloud covered them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the three students, including Rock, well, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. After all, it isn't a common thing when God himself tells you to pay attention to someone you thought was a, just a particularly interesting teacher. It isn't a common thing when God himself tells you that the teacher is indeed God's son. And it isn't a common thing, after all, when God ever speaks to us in an audible way. In fact, it can be very scary. And this week, as we've spoken of, in Wilmer, Kentucky, down by Louisville, a revival's broken out on the campus of Asbury University and Seminary. What's really amazing to me is that it's a Methodist seminary. According to Jason Vickers, a professor I know who's working there, this revival hasn't been filled with wild events. Instead, it's just a time of great peace where the auditorium is filled with people quietly praying, a few singing quietly, others speaking of their sins and their repentance for their sins through tears. The students and professors at Asbury are not running through the aisles. They're not walking on the backs of pews or running on the backs of pews. No, they're sitting in the auditorium confessing their sins, turning their lives over to the service of God, turning their backs onto the world, and speaking and listening to God in prayer. Some have recognized that they did not know Jesus at all. And some have recognized that they had mistaken their weekly religious services as the same as being followers of Christ, and now they wanted to be followers of Christ. Many have realized that they had made exceptions for their own sinful behavior in their hearts, and now they had come to realize that Jesus does not want partial followers, but only those who follow him totally. For they have felt And they've experienced and realized that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And they've decided to follow God's command to listen to him. As Rock, the man we know as Simon Peter said, they've decided to repent and some have been baptized. You know, it's actually very easy to come to church every Sunday, even to tithe, to listen to sermons. We can make it a good habit. But many times we do this with a great part of ourselves held in reserve. We come to hear a sermon, we do this only to listen with half our minds. Yeah, sometimes we do that too. We listen with half our minds. We might listen to the preacher's sermon with interest, but we barely register those scriptures that are also in the service, that are the word of God. We may stand and sing, but then we may complain if we don't know the songs because they're not the songs that we, or the music style we grew up singing. We hear other people tell of what God has done for us this week, but we never speak of ourselves, of what God has done for each of us. 
Maybe because we don't know of anything that God has done for us, or more likely, we think about it, but we remember when we were in seventh grade and the kids laughed at the, at the kids who spoke up in class. For the world has taught us over the years to be quiet, to hide in the back of the class, to let others do the speaking, to avoid talking because people might make fun of us. The world wants us to stay the same until the day we die, never making waves, never being noticed, and above all, never becoming known as a committed, solid Christian because we might be called fanatical, someone who takes seriously the teachers of Jesus and actually listens to him. But God wants us to be transformed like Jesus was on the mountain. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to speak boldly like Peter did, to find the people in the crowd who are hurting and listen to them, sharing words of wisdom with them, touching their shoulders so they'll know that someone cares for them. He wants us to do the things we've never done before so that people can see the light of the Holy Spirit glowing inside of us. He wants us to tell others of what our life used to be before we met Jesus, how we were for a while after we met Jesus, and now how things have changed since we decided that nothing in our lives was more important than following the man that Peter, James, and John had seen glowing on the mountaintop because we had recognized down deep in our hearts that Jesus was truly God's Son. God walking upon the earth. And that meant that everything he said was far more important than our comfort, more important than our fears, more important than anything else, including life itself, because we understood that following Jesus was the way to an eternal life in the future and a better life today. At Asbury, the church service has been going on continuously since a week ago last Wednesday, 10 days ago, student, and it's been going on 24 hours a day, 10 days ago, students decided to stay after the mandatory Wednesday chapel service. And busloads of people now have come from other churches outside, from at least 21 other colleges to Asbury. One guy drove seven hours from North Carolina to see what's happening. One guy has flown in from New Zealand to see what's going on. The auditorium <coughs> was overflowing by Monday evening, and they had to set up s several outside chapels. They've set up live streams all around campus. Even the Super Bowl didn't stop the service, and that proves that God's involved, doesn't it? <coughs> and now prayer vigils are being held at other colleges around the nation. Over 20 other colleges are doing the same thing. And it's very simple what they've done. There's no fire-breathing preacher at this service. People have decided to recommit themselves to following Jesus totally. They've taken turns coming to the altar, confessing in prayer of their, their lapses. They've prayed in their seats for others. Some have just sat and sung songs that they know. Others are still sitting there. They're just sitting there experiencing the peace of God. And people have been transformed. There's an inner glow of the Holy Spirit in them. 
They've broken through those barriers of comfort and fear that kept them from having the peace of God. And so they've done what they never did before. They've come to repent of their sins, not just their blatant sins, but all those little subtle sins that keep you from God. And all are welcoming those confessions with prayers and hugs and love. The three disciples had hit the dirt with their faces down when God spoke to them. And they stayed that way for a while. But then Jesus put his hand on their shoulders and told them to get up, don't be afraid. And they found themselves alone on the mountain with Jesus, the wind gently blowing around them. And then they began to walk down off the mountain because they had to go out into the world. As they walked down off the mountain, Jesus told them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead, referring to himself. And on the way down, they may have seen a butterfly emerge from its cocoon, much the same way Jesus had come out from his earthly caterpillar stage to look for a brief time more beautiful than a butterfly. But soon Jesus was on the cross. He went to the cross. He died on that cross, becoming a sacrifice for all of us. He was placed in a rocky tomb, much like a cocoon. And then he was raised from the dead, and he emerged with his new glorified body. And years later, Rock, the man we know as the Apostle Peter, wrote of the mountaintop event. In his second letter, he said, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God, from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We often remember Peter for the evening when he denied even knowing Jesus. But we should also remember that Jesus' resurrection changed all that with Peter. Fifty days later at Pentecost, this fisherman stood up to a huge crowd in Jerusalem and spoke of Jesus, this man who was not really educated, this man who had spent his time on a boat. He preached a sermon that brought 3,000 men to be baptized that day. Peter lived out his life telling people about Jesus, the average, ordinary-looking man that was perhaps a bit taller than most men, the man that, G that Peter had suspected was the Messiah, the Son of God. He told them about the man who had walked up to the top of the mountain and glowed with a bright internal light like the sun, whose ordinary dingy clothes became as bright as the light. The man to whom God himself about whom God himself spoke to Peter, saying, This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So will you come forward to the altar rail to confess your sins, your blatant ones, and your subtle ones to God, to repent, to receive God's forgiveness? Will you come forward to recommit yourself to following Jesus all the way, Despite your fears, your things, your comforts, 
Will you commit yourself to do whatever Jesus and the Holy Spirit ask of you? Will you pray for others and lead them to the love of Jesus? Come forward now, every one of you. Drop your fears and grow closer to Jesus. You don't have to kneel, you can stand. Perhaps there's a beautiful butterfly waiting inside of your cocoon, waiting to come out. Come forward as we sing with the video, Come to the Altar. No, what a savior. 
Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg Campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.